Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. Happy Easter. So delighted you're here today. And we're going to go on a great adventure of the resurrection this morning. The first time I saw the empty tomb was 1999. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little skeptical. Anybody else like that? I grew up in a tourist town on the beaches of Northwest Florida. And uh, so I'm just kind of suspicious of anything that said, Pastor Scott, we know this is the original place. So I'm a little skeptical of such. And, but I went to Israel in 1999 for the first time. I'm, actually, we're going back in 23 days. This will be my fourth time there. And at some point, I want you all to go with me. So we'll do something. Why don't we start like Wimberley Days, like the first Saturday of the month, and we'll sell stuff nobody wants and raise money to go to Israel. Oh, wait, we already do that. Okay, all right. So, but I went on a trip I really didn't want to go on. You see, somebody in our church decided I needed to go to Israel, and they paid my way, but they didn't include Tara. So Tara couldn't go. She had to stay home and teach and take care of our, our kids. Caleb and Kayla were still at home. And so I went, and I really didn't want to go. Now, we went to this place and this place and this place, and my skepticism really built up. But then we said we were going to the garden tomb. Now, we weren't going to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the place where uh, Catholic tradition says was the crucifixion, and they built a church building there. In fact, uh, it was Constantine's mother-in-law who built the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's been there since about 400 AD, around a 300, 400, somewhere around in there. But historians and archaeologists say that's really not the place. That the place was some other place, but history had kind of marked that spot. But we weren't going to go there. We were going to go to the garden tomb, they called it. And it was called Gordon's Calvary. And so I was a little suspicious of this. But let me tell you the kind of the rest of the story. Gordon, Colonel Gordon, was a uh, in the military, he was in the British Expeditionary Forces that were stationed in Egypt, and he was taking a, a leave of absence, a furlough as it were, and he had gone to Jerusalem to see his good friend Horatio Spatford. Now Spatford, Horatio Spatford, had moved from Chicago to Jerusalem, and he moved there because he'd lost his whole family in a tragic boating accident. An ocean liner going across the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean had sunk with his wife and daughters aboard. And he wasn't with them. And he is the one who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul, that old song. And so at that place, he, in fact, uh, tradition says that he stopped the boat at the place of its sinking on, on, in the Atlantic, and he penned that, that hymn. Well, Gordon was with Spatford, and he was sitting on a rooftop patio. Now, when you go to Israel, you got to sit on a rooftop patio. It is just fabulous. There's some places we're going to go. Those of you going with me, we're going to sit on the rooftop, and we're going to overlook the Jaffa Gate. It's just awesome. You drink Turkish coffee. We're just a little dabble, do ya? <laughs> like a caffeine rush. A boom, wow, okay. So he was sitting on Spatford's rooftop, and he looked across the, across the Damascus Gate, where the Bible says they took him outside the gate, the Damascus gate, where he was crucified at a place that was called Galgatha, or the shape of the skull. And he saw a rock face there that looked like a skull. So being kind of an archaeologist as well as a, a military person, he decided to go poke around. 
And poking around up there, that he found a rock face that looked like the skull, and he asked the local folks, he said, what do you call this? And so we call this Galgatha, Galgatha, the place of the skull. Everyone in town knows that this is the place Jesus was crucified, but they set up a tourist attraction over here. Oh. So in keeping with the Gospel of John, he, he poked around a little further, and in that close by, and John says close by was a garden where Jesus was crucified. Close by was a garden. And in that garden, get this, was an unused tomb. And then Gordon found a garden, and he found a wine press, and he found an olive press, and he found an unused tomb. Uh, really, to be honest with you, the tomb was slightly used. It only had three days on it. And we went there. And I went there with a heavy heart. Because just a few months before that, I had buried one of my best friends. 43 years old, an athlete of athletes. Uh, we surfed together. We played softball together. Uh, our family's vacation together. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died within five months. And I, I was hurting. You see, pastors do not escape the pain of life. We're just like you. And I was hurting. I was grieving for my friend. And, and all this theology that I knew and the certainties I knew, I really needed to see the empty tomb. I really needed to know that this stuff I believed and this stuff I preached was true. My skeptic mind needed a salve. I needed to see. And there in the garden, I saw. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. I went inside. I looked around. No bones. Nobody had ever used it because the local people had said for generation after generation, this tomb was kept the way it was because this was the place that Jesus was laid briefly that resurrected gloriously. And today, I want to invite you on this Easter Sunday to come with me to the tomb. Not the physical tomb, well, I wish I could take you there, but to come to the tomb of Christ and find the hope you're longing for. Because all of history hangs on the tomb of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, if Easter Sunday wasn't Easter Sunday, if it was just some kind of traditional thing that we kind of did so we'd have an excuse to wear clothes we don't normally wear and eat deviled eggs and eat ham, then it's really a waste of time. But this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said this, if there's no resurrection of, dead, of the dead, then Christ is not raised either. And if Christ is not raised excuse me, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God for we have said God raised Christ from the grave. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. Then Paul changes, turns the court and says, but Christ is raised and Christ has been raised and the promises of God are true and the hope has been renewed and the truth that you've been looking for is here before us. So let's gather and see. It's very interesting 
that the garden tomb was in a garden <clears throat> because you know it all started in the garden. Our need for a savior started in a garden. And it seems like what started in the garden was finished in a garden. Hmm. Adam and Eve, Adam and the woman, they fell and with a mighty thud, sin and shame had entered their life and and even when God was pronouncing the curse on them, he was giving them the promise of a redeemer. He said to the man, hey, man, you're going to try to find your self-worth out about what you do. And guys, we know that in any conversation we have with another guy, at least two to three minutes in, we ask, what do you do? What is your job? Some of you are retired, so you don't do nothing. What do you do? But you say, well, I used to do this, or I used to do that. But we get our identif identification for what we do. And then he cursed the woman and he said, basically, you're going to try to get your worth out of your relationships, but that bonehead you're married to, he's not going to fulfill you. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and then he turned to the snake and he said, and you're going to crawl on the, your belly. But then there's an idiomatic phrase here that we read in English and we go, yeah, that makes sense. We're going to kill snakes for the rest of our lives because we hate snakes. It's blue bonnet and rattlesnake season, right? And he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. It says in Genesis 3.15. And we think that's a curse to the serpent and our fear of snakes, but it's not. In that idiomatic phrase in Hebrew literally is a promise of redemption. That yes, you will aggravate man, but one is going to come who's going to take you out. The shame of sin, the separation of God and the great loving God provided a way back. And before the fruit had crunched in the Garden of Eden, Christ had left for the cross of Calvary. You see, one that is greater than I has rescued me. And today we celebrate. And today we rejoice. So this Easter, let's gather. And let's find the hope you've been looking for. Maybe you are like me. You've come with a broken heart. Maybe you're like me. You come with a skeptical mind. Maybe you came because you weren't going to get lunch unless you showed up. But ever how you've come, let's go together and let's find hope renewed, this hope of Easter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you will speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us to life change, that our lives may be built by you and our lives be changed by you because of Easter, because of the power of your resurrection. Thank you for what you're doing in and for and through us. We give this time to you as we give you our lives. We pray this in your strong name. Amen. I would invite you to reach into your bulletin and take out your uh, study guides there, the notes that are provided. You might want to jot some things down. Uh, you also want to be aware that we offer lots of resources online at fbcwimberly.com. We have sermons archived. We have group materials archived. We have devotionals there. Uh, so you could literally take the weekend with you. And I want to give you a, an invitation. If you would provide us with your email address, we will send you an invitation to join a service free of charge called Right Now Media. And Right Now Media is the absolute holy grail of Christian content. 
Uh, you can get all kinds of content, content for kids, for students, for adults, for Bible studies, for small groups, uh, preaching. Some of the greatest preachers in the world are on Right Now Media. I'm not, but some of the other ones are. And you can, uh, you can enjoy that and download that, and we'll give you that as a gift for free. But let's go today to find the hope renewed, the hope of Easter. Because Christ is risen, there's some promises made to you and me. Here's the first promise. Because Christ is risen, I can be made right with God. I can be made right with God. Not by what I do or what I know or what I've joined, but because God's great love for me, because he rose again, I can be right with him. You know, every other belief system says you've got to do something in order to earn God's approval or their God's approval. Like we were in Malaysia and they were celebrating the festival of Taipusan, a Hindu celebration where they would literally uh, drive stakes through their mouths, spears, hooks in their back, carrying their, their, their uh, sacrifices up the hill to their false God. And that was all in an effort to be made right with their God. I've been to other countries of the world where they would, they would flatulate themselves with whips and chains and even, even nail themselves to crosses trying to earn God's respect or God's approval. Or other people that keep dietary laws or these other kinds of legalistic things. But because Christ has been raised from the grave, I'll, I could be made right with God instigating it and God doing it, not me. Listen to what Paul said in First and Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one: For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. God made Christ to literally become sin for you, the sin that you you do. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. You're good at sinning, right? I'm good at sinning. I'm an expert. Now look at your neighbor and look at it and say, you're a good sinner. Will you do that? Yeah, because that's the truth. Some of y'all enjoyed that. That was kind of creepy. But we are good at sinners because all of sin is fall short of God's glorious standards. And I need forgiveness. I need to be made with right with God. So God has done that for me. When I respond to what Christ has done on the cross and what he's done through the resurrection, God makes me right. Now I had a conversation the other day a guy said, you know, you can't be saved unless you repent. I like it when people say, repent. I feel like I need to dab. <laughs> repent. But the truth is, that's kind of crazy. All right, get that spider-looking thing back in my pocket. And we think repent is making a long list of our sins, name them one one. Y'all, I ain't got time nor the paper to list all my stuff. Or it means having this overwhelming feeling of contrition and woe and sorrow. Yeah, and that all brings shame. So I ask a Hebrew tour guide, what does the word repent mean in Hebrew? He goes, uh, it means to stop, ask directions, and go the right way. <laughs> really? So repentance is agreeing with God. Yeah. I agree with God that I cannot fix myself and I turn to him and he says, you're right, but I can fix you. 
And there's a bloodstained cross in an empty tomb that shows you that I'm God enough to fix you. And all you have to do is respond to me in faith. Now, faith is not some kind of silly notion or a superstition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most accurately documented event in ancient history, more so than all the rules of Caesar, all the pharaohs of Egypt, all the writers of antiquity. It is a fact. It is proven. I don't believe it by faith. I believe it by faith through fact. It has happened, and the tomb is empty. I've looked inside. So I could take the great historicity and I could take the great evidence of God moving through history and by faith, the evidence of things hoped for, the the assurance of things not seen and place my life there and I could be made right with God. And then when I'm made right with God, I become his child. I become his child. And I got a good, good daddy God. Yeah, I I, privilege. My father's with the Lord. Had a great dad. Loved my dad. Always supporting me. Always there for me. If I had a need, he was there to meet my needs. If I had a financial need, he he met my needs. Last night before I spoke, I got a text from my son. I love my boy. And he reached out to me. And, you know, even though I was in the middle of something, I I answered and said, hey, buddy, I'll talk to you later. I'm about to preach. He goes, figures, dot, 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 dot. And then the next little bubbles come up. He said, hey, dad, I love you. He did not have to earn my love. His love, my love for him, is based on my commitment to him. And Christ's love for you is based on his commitment to you. And he has loved you with an everlasting love. He's a good daddy. Romans 8 says this, we've not been given a spirit of fear that leads to slavery, but we've been in a fear of adoption that says, Abba, Daddy, God. And because the tomb is empty, I have hope that I'm a child of God. And then I'm held by God. Now get this, it's going to help you, y'all. It's going to help you. I'm held by God based on his promises and not my behavior. Whoo! Because y'all, I can mess it up. But God says this, and we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, even though we're good at it. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. That right there is hope, isn't it? To quote the great theologian, M.C. Hammer can't touch this. (laughs) God gives me this hope. God gives me the hope that I could be a new person. I don't have to be who I once was. I could be made new by by God in his glorious standards. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel said in prophesying about what's going to happen when Christ comes and when Christ is raised from the dead. This is what God offers you today. He says this, and I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Doesn't that sound like a good exchange? Some of y'all need a heart transplant. You got a stony, stubborn one. You need a tender, compassionate one, don't you? Wow. And then I will put my spirit in you so that you will then follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations. What? Yeah. 
not only am I going to give you a new heart, I'm going to give you a new power. And you don't have to be who you once were. I'm going to give you my power so you can be who I say you are, not who you think you are. I can make you a new person. And it's the woo of God. And it's the, it's the, our, need, our need to be regenerated. You've heard people say this. Well, I'm, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf, right? You don't need a new leaf. You need a new life. God would turn you around. Turn you around. The other day, Tara and I were talking about my physical condition. And she said I needed to get in shape. I said, baby, round is a shape. <laughs> then I said this. Y'all like that, don't you? Preach it now. <laughs> and I said to her, Wait, baby, one day I'm going to get a new body. And I'm going to look forward to that new body. And that new body is not going to have to look at the sugar content on the back of a package. I worry about a cholesterol. That new body's not going to have to take its blood pressure twice a day because God is making me new. And I love that. And the cross says I can be made new. That I have a power to live out this new life and I have new relationships. Because the tomb is empty, you know what? I, I can become self-aware where I can be quick to repent of my sins and to agree with God. And then here's the coolest thing. I can be quick to forgive. I talked about forgiveness not long ago, and I said being unforgiven is like you drinking poison hoping the other person dies. Remember that? But because Christ has been raised, I'm free to forgive. Free to forgive. I talked to a guy not long ago He's been mad at me for 15 years. 15 years. I had no clue he was mad at me. He came to me and he said, Pastor, I've been mad at you for 15 years and I've decided to forgive you. Will you forgive me? I said, yeah. <laughs> All this time, he carried this around when he could have been free. I'd have forgiven him already. Huh. This is what the cross does. And get this. I can be free from judging you. We don't do that, do we? We don't judge people, do we? We don't drive in Austin and stop at the stoplight and see the guys holding signs and said, I'm hungry. Will you give me something? We don't judge them, do we? We don't say, loser needs to get a job. I scared some of y'all, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> I woke you up, huh? What? Huh? huh? We don't, you know what? I'll do that. The other day, Terry and I were sitting in traffic. This guy was standing there. He said, he's hungry. And the uh, Lord said, give him some money. <laughs> I started having this debate. He said, you know what to do. So I reached and I gave him all the cash I had in my wallet. It was only three bucks. Now, if it had been a $100 bill, we'd had a discussion with Jesus right there, y'all, <laughs> telling you. And the Lord said, who are you to judge? Who are you? He's just going, it doesn't matter. I need to do the good that needs doing and love the ones who need loving because Jesus has been raised from the grave and he's made me a new person. And I need to not have a 
stony, stubborn heart, but a tender and compassionate heart. And I could live in freedom. I could be free. To quote Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last because Jesus is alive. I'm free. Jesus said this in the book of John. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. I like what the King James says. You're free indeed. Free indeed. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer bound to guilt and shame. I'm free. I can live with purpose. I can have the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I can, I can have those things. I can then, get this, I can have a life built by God. I can connect with you because I'm connected to Jesus. I can grow to be like Christ by understanding his word and practicing spiritual disciplines so I can see like Jesus, hear like Jesus, think like Jesus, have the hands and and actions of Jesus because I'm spiritually mature. I, I can serve God by serving you, not looking for my own needs to be met, but to meet the needs of others. And then I can contagiously share the love of God in word and deed, thus honoring God with my life because Jesus is alive. I can be a part of a church that builds lives that honor God because Jesus is alive. Not a part of an institution or a religion or a denomination, but a part of a movement that declares hope to the world because Jesus is alive. The resurrection changes me and I can live in freedom. And then I get to live forever because death has lost its victory. The grave has lost its sting. When you hear I'm dead, don't you believe it. Don't walk by my casket and say, boy, he sure looks good. I'm dead, (laughs) but I'm alive. I'm alive with Christ. Last Friday, good Friday, Dan and I, along with Wyatt and Scott Tidwell, White Warren, Scott Tidwell, we we did the funeral for uh, one of our precious friends, Don Ash. He went to be with the Lord. And we sat with his family, but his family did not mourn as if they had no hope because they had hope because they Don had trusted in Christ and Don was in heaven. Don wouldn't have come back if we asked him. Uh-uh, <laughs> no. You know, I thought about that just uh, the last service when I was talking about that. I was thinking, was Lazarus ticked off at Jesus when he raised him from the grave? <laughs> what are you doing? I was hanging out with Abraham. Moses was telling stories. That's just me. I'm sorry. But death no longer holds its fear because the tomb is empty. Because Christ is alive. That means I get to live forever. Why? Because I've trusted in this one who's alive forever. My hope is built on Jesus Christ. I have power to live and on and live forever. And I got people to live with. I get to live with you guys. And then when I, when I go to be with the Lord, I get to live with the family of God forever and ever and ever. And ever. I got a purpose to live for. This life is preparation for the next. And I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. And that home is not a place, it's a person. His name is Jesus. The tomb is empty and the promises are true. It's Easter, y'all. So we peered to the grave, peered to the tomb, and it's he's gone. We find Jesus alive. And what started in a garden ended in a garden. 
You see, the fruit crunched and man fell. And the ground shook. And Jesus came alive. You see, sin had brought shame and death. And Jesus brought life and peace. I found it interesting. I finished this sermon on Monday. Turned in my notes. I like to let my sermon sit on, a pot, on the stove like a pot of beans and simmer. And then Tara, she feeds little bits of bacon in it all during the week. And she said, Scott, have you ever considered the unused tomb? And I always said, what you talking about? You know, it was a borrowed tomb. That was Joseph Arimathea's tomb. And, and she said, but it was never used after that. I said, so I got to look at it. And the Bible doesn't say it was a borrowed tomb. It just said it belonged to Joseph Arimathea. And it had a new tomb, an unused tomb. Huh. God in his great detail. He had a man named Joseph of Arimathea who loved Jesus and followed Jesus. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Body of Jesus, had it been a normal crucifixion, he'd been taken down from the cross and then thrown into Gehenna to rot and let the vultures of the dogs eat it. But no, 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 God was having none of that. So what God did in his wonderful detail, he placed a man named Joseph of Arimathea who had the authority to approach Pontius Pilate, who had the authority to give him Jesus' bottom, who, body, who just by happened to have an unused tomb in a garden close by. And what started in a garden with the fall ended in the garden with the resurrection. So what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Some of you in this room today, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never trusted him. You're here today out of whatever reason, tradition, our conscription, the threat of no food. You're here. And the Holy Spirit speaking to you says, you know what? You need to give your life to Christ. How will you respond? Will you say yes to Jesus? Uh, some of you here, you have a faith, but you've let it grow cold and indifferent. And you've just been kind of casual. And it's like something you do, like you're a cowboy fan. It's only good when they're good, and that's rare. <laughs> Just say it, y'all. So, what are you going to do? Some of you, you're kind of like me. You're grateful, you're thankful, and you're going to soak in the resurrection with awe and wonder, and you're going to say, I'm going to live all for you, Jesus. So, today, we all face a decision. What will you do because of the resurrection? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way your word speaks to us. And thank you for the call you have to us to be more than we ever thought we could be. And Father, I pray that all of us will do business with you at our point of need and our point of conviction through your spirit. Father, there's some in this room that need to give their lives to you. They need to trust in you. They need to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Father, there's some that need to move from casual to intentional and truly following you, truly have their life in your hands and, and following your purposes and, and belong to a church family that's building lives that honor you. Father, there's some here that are 
Well, they're like me. I'm just thankful, Jesus. And I want to praise you and thank you for the resurrection. I want to thank you for the truth. I thank you for the promises. And I just want to live for you, Jesus. Father, help us now to make commitments based on our place of understanding. Folks, with your heads bowed, I'm not going to ask you to do anything strange. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle or raise your hand or do anything like that. But I do want to ask you this. Has there been a time in your life that you prayed and you've asked Jesus to be your Savior? If there hasn't, then today is the day. I'm not talking about being confirmed or being baptized or joined a church. I'm talking about giving your life to Jesus. If there hasn't been a time, then today's the day. I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me a prayer of faith, a prayer of believing. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, right now, I give my life to you. I thank you that you've died for me and you rose again. I repent of my sins. I agree with you. Jesus, I'm yours. I'm gonna live for you all my life. If you just prayed that with me, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Maybe the prayer you need to pray today is not that prayer, but maybe this prayer. Lord, I'm coming home to you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to stop being casual and formal. I'm going to be intentional. Or maybe the prayer you need to pray today is thank you, Jesus. I think all of us need to pray that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, we are yours. So Father, I pray that we will not leave here the same on this glorious resurrection day. And I pray this in your name. Amen.